Amen. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It's been such a privilege and such an honor to be here in the conference. Uh, there are faces in this auditorium that have been of every service, and I'm not just talking about staff, and I so appreciate that. It's such an encouragement to the preacher, to the missionary, when God's people are faithful. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And obviously, your pastor and leadership has vision here. We talked about that the other night, about uh, when you can't see, hang on to somebody who, who can see until you gain your vision. And maybe you can't see all that the visionary is seeing, but being faithful to the Lord and being involved in the missions program of your church. It's a great testimony, and pastor did a wonderful job of the presentation, but it's a great testimony of your faithfulness to the Lord, your nickels, dimes, quarters, dollars. And by the way, the amount you give is absolutely irrelevant. It's a fact that you're participating in the program. One of my prayers for every conference that I preach is not so much a certain amount of faith promise to come in for that conference, but I pray this prayer. I ask God to have a 100% participation of the church membership. I truly believe that that's what honors God because he blesses unity. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word, John chapter 3. We're going to begin reading at the 14th verse. John chapter 3, begin reading at verse 14. I'll read aloud as you follow in silence. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the testimony that we have seen and heard about of the faithfulness of Shawnee Baptist Church. And Father, thank you for the vision of the pastor and church leadership and I pray, Lord, that all that they're endeavoring to do would come to fruition, but it'll only be by your grace and by your goodness and your kindness and the participation of your people. I pray now that you bless and honor the reading and the preaching of your word. Hide your servant behind the cross and glorify yourself. If there's someone here that's lost without Jesus, we pray that they would find the Savior and find eternal life. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. In this chapter, we see that very historical confrontation between our Lord and a very influential Jewish religious man, a leader by the name of Nicodemus. You'll find that in the first several verses of John chapter 3. This is where Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Jesus said those all-important words to the lost and confused seeker. He said, you must be born again. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you would spend eternity in heaven, may I encourage you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We know that this meeting changed Nicodemus forever. For if we were to go to the 19th chapter of the same book, we'd find that it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who removed the body of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross 
for burial at great persecution to themselves. I want to focus this morning on the 16th verse of John chapter 3. And you might say, well, preacher, come on now, we have matured beyond this verse. This is more for junior church, not the main auditorium crowd. May I remind you that in this one verse is the very heart and soul of God's Word. This one verse says it all. That's why we have memorized it. That's why we sing it. That's why we've cross-stitched it and hang it on our walls. We put it on specialty license plates and on t-shirts. We've seen it on hand-painted banners at sporting events. Uh, in 2009, the BCA's national championship game between Florida and Oklahoma, a quarterback by the name of Tim Tebow wrote a Bible verse under his eyes in, blank, in black. He wrote 316 under both eyes. And, uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, it was Googled millions of times because people didn't know what Tim Tebow was doing. Uh, it, it was a practice that was banned by the NCAA in 2010. Ninety million people Googled that verse that reads John 3.16. Now let me give you some unusual statistics about that game. Uh, Tim Tebow threw 316 passing yards in that game. John 3.16. Tebow averaged 31.6 yards per completion, uh, highest in NFL postseason history. CBS's final ratings for the game was 31.6. The game's final time of possession was 31 uh, minutes and 6 seconds. So it's no coincidence that John 3.16 was seen by 90 million people. Some have taken this verse and they shaved it into their heads and have tattooed it onto their biceps. I don't recommend that. What makes this verse so popular? What makes this verse so powerful? What makes this verse so palatable? And what makes this verse so plagiarized? This one verse is so amazing because within it, listen church, is the heart and mind and plan of God concerning the work of missions and re reaching the world with the gospel. In John 3.16 is contained the gospel. That's the message of God. In John 3.16 is evangelism. That's the method of God. In John 3.16 is missions. That's the manpower of God. Uh, contained in this word is giving. That's the means of God. And I want to take a little time this morning and dissect John 3.16. Now, when I was a younger man, uh, and even into my adult years, I was married at the age of 16, so I didn't have much of a childhood. Matter of fact, my wife was 20. She had to raise me a few more years. But I like taking things apart and putting them back together just to see how they work. And that's fine. That's okay if you do that, as long as you don't have any extra parts left when you're done. But I like dissecting the Word of God. And so this morning, I want to take John 3.16, and I want to take it apart, we'll take it and examine it, and put it back together. Number one, in John 3.16, I want you to see the source of missions. What's the first two words? For God. God is the source of missions, for He is the source of all. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 
in the beginning God. The source of missions is God, for He's the source of all. As you watch this presentation this morning that Pastor gave you, you would think, wow, with great leadership, and you have great leadership here. But watch now, everything that has transpired, everything that is transpiring, everything that will transpire in the work of missions here, watch now, comes from the heart and mind of Almighty God who loves the souls that His Son, the Lord Jesus, died for. The plan of missions did not come from the church fathers, but directly from the heart and mind of God Himself. That's the source of missions in John 3.16. Number two, I want you to see the stimulus for missions found in John 3.16. The stimulus of missions, watch now, for God so loved. Love is the stimulus of missions because what else could flow from the heart of God but love? The simplest definition of God in the Word of God is 1 John 4.8 that says, God is love. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. I want you to think about that verse and from John 15, 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me. I want you to think about that. How much does God the Father love His Son, the Lord Jesus? I don't think there's a theologian, I don't think there's a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary who can define how much God the Father loves His own Son, the Lord Jesus. But watch what Jesus said. As the Father has loved me, get ready, so have I loved you. And you say, hold on there, preacher, if I can't understand, if I can't fathom the love that God has for his own son, how am I supposed to comprehend the love that Jesus has for me, for us? Well, we have a picture of it. It's called Calvary. When Jesus spread his hands and was nailed to a cross and crucified, for he said, greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down for his life for his friends. And that just wasn't a man on the cross. That was God. And he didn't lay down his life just for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies, of which all of us were before the new birth. But watch the rest of John 15, 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Watch now, fasten your seatbelts. For he says, continue ye in my love. As the children of God, those who have received the love of God, we are supposed to continue in the love that God the Father has for His Son, and we are supposed to continue the love in the love that Jesus has for us, and we do that by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, spreading the love of Christ through these verses in John 3, 16. Love was the stimulus behind the amazing plan of God to send His Son to die and save the souls of vile sinners of which I am chief. The Apostle Paul said, most of you in this room know my testimony. Raised as a gypsy here in the United States, as a con man and a thief, my late wife Dolly, a fortune teller. And some would say, Brother Stevens, God really had to reach down to the gutter of this world to save your vile soul. May I remind you, church, that we all come from the same gutter. It's called planet Earth. And the same love of Christ that saved me is the same love of Christ that saves you. And there is no person that can hide from the love of Christ. It will hunt you down. First John 4, 10, and here it is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A famous philosopher once said these words, The person you are, the person you have been, the person you will be, God declares beloved. My dear friend, if you're here this morning and have not received the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, may I remind you that He loves you. Oh, the unfathomable love of God, it surpasses human comprehension. My 
my tongue fails me to describe the amazing love of God. I wish I could sing this portion of a song to you, but if I did that, everybody would leave the auditorium. But listen to these words. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Where every stalk on earth a quill and every man ascribed by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Oh, if I could just formulate the words to be able to comprehend. Make you to understand how much God loves you. It is said that part of this song was penciled on the wall of an inmate's room at an insane asylum. You know what it tells me? That though this person may have been out of their mind, may not be able to understand the realities of life, they could still perceive and receive the love of God. Love should be the believer's stimulus to give the faith promise. When Paul is teaching about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, he says, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of love. You know what this card will do? It'll prove the sincerity of your love. Don't tell me you love God and don't participate in the missions program of your church. It's a contradiction. Don't tell me you love God and not involved in the giving of your church. It's a contradiction. Love will cause us to do unusual things for the cause of Christ. Number one, we talked about the source of missions found in John 3.16. The stimulus of missions. But I want you to see the subject of missions found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. When he says the world, he's not talking about the sphere in which we live. He's talking about the inhabitants. We are told by 2023, there'll be 8 billion people on this planet. I know that's mind-boggling. Many times when I preach conferences, I talk about reaching the world. And you know what? You talk about reaching 8 billion people, and most, most members of churches, it'll just go right over their head. I can't reach 8 billion people, preacher. It's too big. I can't do it. And you know what they do? They close their pocketbooks. So I try to bring it down to our own nation, 350 million people. We bring it a little closer, but most Christians, it's over their head, 350 million people, and they close their pocketbooks. Then I bring it down to the population of the state which they live in. It's getting a little closer to home. But then I bring it down to the city in which they're living. Watch now. Then I bring it to their own home. Their moms and dads, their aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. You want your family to know the gospel, don't you? And then people get serious and they open up their pocketbooks and begin to give. Oh, the subject of missions is the world. It means the inhabitants of this planet. Eight billion souls approaching in 2023. And watch now, it has been said that two-thirds of the world's population has never heard a clear-cut presentation of the gospel. That's wrong! You say, well, preacher, I'm in business. You can play with numbers. I used to be in business, too. I know you can play with numbers. But you do with that number what you want. Maybe it's not two-thirds. Maybe it's one-third. It's still too many. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. First, we talked about the source. We talked about the source of missions, the stimulus of missions, the subject of missions. Now I want you to see the sacrifice for missions found in John 3.16. Look at those three words. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
Love gives. Matter of fact, you can't say that you love unless you give. Hello? Charity is the feet to our love. Charity is the action of what we do for Christ. Listen, love gives. Love has action. For God so loved the world that he did absolutely nothing. For God so loved the world that he gave. I told you in my testimony earlier that I had never dated before because my, my marriage and my culture was prearranged. But God brought a wonderful lady in my life and I had to learn how to date. And I told you I did everything wrong. But there's a wedding band on my left hand, so something must have turned out right. But as I was dating my wife, Simone, I, I made her a promise. I said, Simone, and she runs a family business, a flooring business in Florida, and I promised her that there would be fresh flowers on her desk every Monday morning. And wherever I am in the world, there's a, there's a bouquet of fresh flowers on her desk. Matter of fact, her customers come in and say, oh, where'd you get the beautiful flowers? What's the holiday? Is it your anniversary or birthday? Every Monday morning, she gets fresh flowers. Why? Because love has action. Don't tell me you love and, and don't do anything. The love of God caused him to give his life for lost, sinning souls that he wants to save. Watch now, the holiness of God demanded a blood sacrifice to redeem them. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So God gave, and he gave us his best. He gave sacrificially. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. Oh, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Faith, promise, giving is giving sacrificially. It's giving God your best. I've heard it said about sacrifices, giving up something that you love for something that you love much more. Faith promises giving God out of the resources that you have, and it proves the sincerity of your love. And then I want you to look at John 3, 16 again, and I want you to see the shining star of missions. For God so loved the world that he gave, watch now, his only begotten Son. Jesus is the shining star of missions. Revelations twenty two sixteen. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. It's all about Jesus. It's him that we exalt. And what did God give? He gave us his best. He gave us his son, his one of a kind, his unique son. 1 Peter 1, 19 says, But what the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. When John saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you're here today and never met the Lamb of God, may we introduce you to Him. May you know the love that He has for you. And then I want you to see the statement of missions in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Watch the phrase now. That whosoever believeth in Him that is the statement of mission. To whom does this verse speak? It speaks to the whosoevers. Aren't you glad that you're a whosoever? Aren't you glad that God doesn't pick and choose who he saves, but he presents the gospel to everyone, gives them all a choice? It's all for the whosoevers. It's all for you. Let me give you some whosoever verses very quickly. John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. John eleven twenty six, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John 
John 12, 46, I am come, a light in the world, that whosoever believeth uh, in, in, uh, in me, on me, should not abide in darkness. Acts 2, 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 10, 43 says, to him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, watch now, whosoever believeth in him should receive remissions of sins. And Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning, you're a whosoever, and if you've never received Christ, Listen, he wants to save your soul. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to put your sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Let's see. Our planet is 25,000 miles in circumference. And as far as east or west as you travel, you'll never find where east meets west. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't say that God put my sins as far as the north is from the south, because then you could find them. But he puts our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says he puts our sins in the deepest part of the sea. He blots them out with a thick cloud. And my favorite thought of what God does with our sins comes from the book of Hebrews. Watch, church. He remembers them no more. That's the all-knowing. That's the all-seeing. Everywhere present, God chooses to forget our sins on behalf of his son, the Lord Jesus. If you are here today, whosoever, you can receive him. But being a whosoever is not enough, for the statement of mission says that they must believe. Whosoever believeth in him. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You must believe. You're a whosoever, but you must put your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ and him alone and nothing else. He is the Savior of the world. Then also, I want you to see the salvation of missions found in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's the salvation of missions. Those who believe will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from their sins. Saved from death and saved from the grave and saved from Satan and saved from hell. And that brings me to my last point. I want you to see the security of missions found in John 3, 16. Here's what we have. Should not perish, watch now, but have everlasting life. Thank God for that little word, but. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word but means there are nevertheless. It's a notwithstanding. It's an objection, an exception, a restriction. Nay, rather, yea, moreover. Watch now. It forms a transition into the cardinal matter. Whosoever believeth in him, watch now, but whosoever believeth shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It forms a transition to the cardinal matter. The cardinal matter is everlasting life. The security of missions is that we are saved and we are saved forever, saved to heaven, saved to Christ, saved to our loved ones who have gone ahead of us. Oh, what a mighty, powerful verse it is. John 3.16. Have you received it? What will you do with it? It should be your stimulus as a Christian to be involved. Some people, John 3.16 is old hat. Oh, John 3.16. But it should be our motivation to serve him and give him our absolute best. Let me ask you, church, is he deserving of our best? We sing the song, I surrender all, but I question whether God's people really surrender all. Could you imagine what we would do, how we could impact this world 
if every member of Shawnee Baptist Church would surrender all. Say, preacher, you're asking for too much, really? That's not, I'm not asking for it. God asked for it. He asked us to give him his best, to give him the priority of our life, to give him the preeminence. He's supposed to have the first place, not second place, not third place, first place in our life. Do you think maybe we could change our world and reach those billions who have never heard if God's people would get involved and surrender all to Christ? He said, preacher, you want us to unlock our bank accounts and just lay them at the altar. Well, if God tells you to, yeah. No, right now we're asking you to fill out the faith promise card. Hello. That's what we're asking. I, I so appreciate the vision. And you know what, preacher? I'm one of your missionaries now. Officially. So are you, Brother Shook. You're one of the church's missionaries now. We have an obligation. We have an obligation to you to make sure that we put fruit into your account. That's what Paul said to the church of Philippi. He said, not that I desire a gift. I didn't come here for a gift, preacher. But I got one. Not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Amen. You know what's happened today? As a result of your decision to take on the missionaries in this conference, watch now, every Thai person that comes to Christ goes into your account. Every Japanese, once Brother Morgan gets to the field, goes to your account. Every Nigerian uh, that the Maskies have been winning have already been put into your account. Every gypsy pastor, when I leave for Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ukraine on Wednesday, when I land, I have 14 days of meetings, back to back, back to back. Every gypsy that comes forward in those services where I preach in my own language, watch now, they'll be put into the account of Shawnee Baptist Church. Why? Paul said, not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. As you unite to fulfill all that God wants in your missions program, it'll give you fruit in heaven. And I think Brother Shook will help me make this promise. Do you promise, preacher, that when they get to heaven, will Thai people come and say to them what Brother Mike sang about? Will those Thai people say to you in heaven, thank you for giving to the Lord because of you supporting Brother Shook? Brother Morgan, Brother Maskey, and Brother Stevens, because of you, gypsies are going to be in heaven. Because of you, Thai people are going to be in heaven. Japanese, I don't know about you, but that's a big deal to me. But you need to be involved. Heads about and eyes are closed.